Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, please feel free in the house of the Lord. I want to welcome you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. This morning, we are pioneering something that in our region, um, I feel, has been lacking. And uh, these days, people do not teach in churches about the prophetic. You see all kinds of uh, manifestations about the prophetic. You hear of many prophets and you, you see the ministry, but uh, what is the standard? And uh, it is like everyone is just doing their own thing. And it's because there is no standard. Everyone that says, thus saith the Lord, and everyone that gives a prophecy these days are considered as prophets. There are so many self-ordained prophets in the world today. And it's all in the name of prophet. P-R-O-F-I-T. And uh, people are so gullible today and desperate for a word of God. People want to be sure that God knows about them. And when anyone comes to them and says to them, God knows your trouble. Immediately tears well up in their eyes. It's because people are not taught the word of God. They are not taught how to rightly divide God's word. People, it's difficult for them to stand upon the word today. Even though they go to trouble, they want that prophetic word. You can see it with conferences. When you hear prophet. Malamela is coming to town. Then the church is full. It is because people love the show and the theater and the prophetic word and all the nonsense that goes on in the church today. And today it is because there is no standard. In the book of Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19, speaking about the coming Redeemer and how the Lord will come with power and strength, how his name will be known from the rising of the sun that comes up in the east to the setting down. It declares there that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. It's not when the enemy comes in like a flood. It's when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. The standard that is raised up by the Spirit of God is a battle standard. It is a standard of war. And whenever in the olden days when armies would go to war, they would have a flag that would have the nationality from where they are on the flag, but they would also have their own, uh, their own ensign on the flag that is unique to them. And so it was a, a, an unsung or an unspoken law in war that you do not go to battle without a standard. And when we connect the standard of the Spirit of God to warfare and to battle, that standard lands on the name of the Lord, which is Jehovah Nissi, our banner of victory. 
And so the banner of victory or the standard is raised when there is a flood. And you know how a flood comes. When you perhaps would uh, forget the, the faucet open, you putting in bath water for yourself, and you would leave the tap open, pretty soon the whole place would flood, isn't it? So a flood comes slowly, it comes systematically, but before you know it, it fills and saturates the whole place. God's word is considered as water. And so the way that the people of God or the spirit of God through his people raise up a standard, a battle standard, is through the word of God. It's not you saying Jehovah Nisi is my banner. But there must be a consistent and systematic raising of the waters in the church today. And it means that there must be strong, solid, apostolic teachings in the house of the Lord. Gone are the days where men behind pulpits and with the mic in their hand just makes a noise to get the people excited. They will say, stand up, turn around to your left, to your right, smile with your neighbor, tell them you have got beautiful teeth and you've got beautiful hair. Tell your neighbor, that's not her own hair. <laughs> and, and people get all excited because of the entertainment in the house of the Lord. But when they leave the house of God, there is no battle standard. There's no saturation of the word. There is no flooding of God's word. And there is a demand these days that there must be that sure flooding of God's word in his house. So that those things that cannot swim will drown in the waters of the word. Whether they are saints of God that just comes for the entertainment or whether they are demonic spirits assigned to the house of the Lord. But that presence of water in God's house must be so strong that it will drown out all the noise and it will drown out things that are not from God. And so with regards to the prophetic, there must be all over the world in the house of the Lord a standard set and it must be a standard of rectitude it must be a standard where people will not flock to a place where there is gimmicks and show and theater and people getting robbed and schemed out of their money because you know it saints I can call you to the front and I can give you your phone number I can tell you your bank account and where you stay. Well, I can't do that. If you give me a week, I can find all of those things out. I will Google your name. I will go on Facebook. I will find out who your friends are. And pretty soon, I will have some information about you. And then when you come on Sunday, I call you to the front and I tell you this is who you are. What does this number mean to you? Then you say, this is my, my home address. And then I tell you something and then you start crying and then I tell you something else and then you weep even louder and then while you are weeping you are thinking of how much money you have in your bank account how you can transfer that money to the prophet of God because God knows you people are so gullible today I want you to know that 
There are demonic spirits that knows your every move. They know your name, your bank account. They know your grandmother, your great-granddaddy. They know who you are. Do you think demonic spirits are out there on the beach somewhere having fun? The only thing that they are focused on is the, is the lives of people. When someone comes and says things about you that only you know, don't be all excited and impressed about those things because the devil knows your name. They only study you to get you to turn against your father. Amen? And so there must be a turning of the tide in the world today. There must be a turning of all the foolishness that goes on in the house of the Lord today. And I've recognized that budding prophets, young prophets, maturing, developing prophets, they are called of the Lord. And in fact, I think it's Moses that said, I, I, we, I pray that all God's people were prophets. Because prophetic people are powerful people. They break things. You know, if, if the church is dead and dreary and, and you just need a prophet up there to come and shake things up. They are anointed to break yokes and to, to loosen chains and shackles. They are anointed people. There's power in their mouths. And so we also recognize the different divisions of prophets. And we'll speak about that uh, the next time when we meet. I don't think we'll really touch the prophetic today. But today I want to speak about the, the antithesis thereof. That which is contrary. That which opposes the prophetic. The counterfeit. Because for everything true in the world, there is a counterfeit. Amen. I've seen a video where this, this man of God called someone out. And he says, I have a word for you. And... Uh, he first does all the magic where he says numbers and things. And what does this number mean? The guy says, it's familiar to me. And then he says, the Lord says this unto you. And, um, and then he went off. He, he first started in a nice positive note. Then he went off, very negative. Uh, so much so that he says that the Lord will strike you with a plague. And, and this man immediately protested. And he says, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Because whenever they give you a word, they like to hold the mic there. So, so you can also respond and, and cry. And say, oh, it can only be God. This man said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You, you, you work under the spirit of divination. And quickly the church was turned upside down. The deacons came and grabbed him, and uh, he kept on saying that that plague will come upon you. And he quoted the word, this other brother. He, he said, this is not the will of God for me. And afterwards, the preacher said, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, I rebuke you. This man said, I am not Satan. <laughs> and that's how we must take our stand, saints. When someone prophesies, you listen to what they say. You don't just fall under the power and shake and get your hands all shaky. No, you hear what he says. 
Because dead men can curse you, then you say amen. And when you say amen, the church also say amen, bless the Lord. And so you receive that curse that comes upon you. Prophets these days, many of them are schooled by evangelists and pastors. And when you are schooled and mentored and coached by someone that thinks everybody must be saved around them, your prophetics will be like that, where you want to give everyone a prophetic word. You meet someone in the mall, you say, I see this over you. You even hear about prophetic evangelists, evangelistic prophets. No, a prophet is a prophet. You don't mix the two because their, their, their inward positions are different. They complement one another. And so you, today you even get Dr. Prophet evangelists, your eminence, and all these great names. It's all about titles. People that are called in this ministry do not want to be known as prophets. I want to say that again. They do not want to be known as prophets because the burdens of the Lord that comes upon them is so tough. When someone goes through heartache and pain, they actually feel the pain that the people go through. Hallelujah. And so I think today that people that are called into the prophetic ministry with all its different subsidiaries and branches and divisions must be schooled, mentored, and taught by people that are very strong in the apostolic ministry. Because apostles are people of order. They are people of, of, of righteousness that reveals the mysteries of God. People of power that can turn cities upside down. And so the, the order must be right. People that are prophets without fathers and mentors and coaches, they must just leave everything right there because of the, da the dangers that are associated with this ministry. And, and today we are just going to briefly go through some of the things that are the counterfeit. Amen? I think it is important for the saints of God just to get a brief overview of um, our enemy, the, the guy in the other corner, who we're fighting against. I want to encourage you to just go on our website, kingdomnexus.net, and download, I think it's a six-part series on intercession. The foundation of the, that teaching is found in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. It's amazing how you can preach six messages from three scriptures. That's how rich the word of God is. All of this speaks about representation. If you feel that you are called as a prophet of God, the first thing in your mind and in your heart must be that of representation. If you do not represent your father properly to the church, to the world, then you must not be called anything. It's all about representation. In Hebrew culture, this thing about representation was entrenched where the father of the house would have what is called a shalia. And a shalia would 
be the actual representation of the Father. When he, wherever he goes, it would be as the very presence of the Father. And so these three scriptures in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 speaks about the works of God. God rested from all his works which, we, which he created and made. He rested because he was not tired. God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because perfection was found in the works of God. And all the works of God carried some facet of his DNA so that it might in a way represent him. When you think about everything in the heavens and in the earth, everything, it has God in it. And so God works and functions today on the principle of representation. And when you think about that, saints, how, how weighty that is, then people that stand behind pulpits must really be scrutinized to the T. Because they are the representatives of the almighty God, the great God. And so when, when so-called prophets do all kinds of funny stuff and theater and show, you have to really think twice about who you are following and who's praying over you and who's prophesying over you. Amen? Amen. And so today I want to just bring this introduction about divination because divination is that which is contrary to the prophetic. Another word for divination is the word witchcraft. And so with divination, it has always been the desire of men to forecast or to predict the future. Man, it is your desire. You want to know what the future holds. If you are bent in knowing what tomorrow brings, then you do not understand the prophetic. The prophetic is not to know what tomorrow brings. The prophetic is about hearing God now. It is a gift given to the church to teach the church that you can hear God for the moment. Because if you do not hear God for the moment, how can he, he entrust you with tomorrow? Because the sum of yesterday and today is encapsulated in an eternal perspective. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and not tomorrow, and forever. You see, the perspective changes when you overlay yesterday and today. So whatever happened yesterday... If you take the sum of yesterday and overlay it with what is happening today, then our natural inclinations is to predict what tomorrow will be like. But when it comes to the prophetic, it is not what tomorrow will look like. Because your trust is already in God. And you are saying as long as tomorrow is in God's hands, everything will be okay. Your yesterday and today is measured up against an eternal perspective. So if you have failed yesterday and you're failing today, the eternal perspective says tomorrow you will be successful. Because there is this dichotomy in the kingdom. 
And it's like, if you want to go up, you must go down. If you want to become the greatest, you must be the servant. This is the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom is almost diametrically opposed to the systems of this world. And so, divination has been employed since antiquity to find out how tomorrow will look. And you see them all over. These diviners. The word means to divide. And the fundamentals of divination is found in polytheism, in many gods, in the worship of many gods. And it's said that many, and I'll show you later, how, how believers at times, especially in their weakest, in their lowest times, will seek for signs and will seek for symbols and would, in their own homes, divine something. Even the people that walked with Jesus wanted to divine things. And so, this divination cannot be found in the scope of man's powers. There is a story in Daniel chapter 2 where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. The dream was so terrible that it, he lost sleep because of the dream. But when he woke up the next day, he couldn't remember the dream. One of the greatest dreams and visions in the Bible. He couldn't remember it, but it was so terrible. It shook him up for real. And I know there are times where you have dreams like that. I have them too. And our intention is also to speak about these dreams and how can you interpret it. Must you interpret every dream? And we'll give you clues on the interpretation of dreams and visions. And so he called, I don't want to read the chapter, but he called his magicians, his soothsayers, his astrologers, he called them into his courts and he said to them, I, I command you to tell me what I dreamt and to give me the interpretation thereof. And they said, O oh, king, live forever. Let it be known that there is no one on the face of the world that can do such a thing. This is professional magicians, enchanters, div uh, diviners. They said there's no one. If you give us the dream, then we can interpret it. But this king was adamant. He said, by tomorrow this time, if you do not tell me what the dream is, I will kill all of the wise men and the soothsayers. And it, it, it so happened that Daniel heard about it because Daniel was one of the wise men. He would also die. And he said, and he went to the king and he said, just give me a day or two. Let me speak to the Lord. Because the knowledge of the future is in the hands of the Lord. In no other thing or being. Divination believes that the knowledge of the future lies in uh, objects, living or dead, inanimate. It believes that, um, in fact, one, one division of divination believes that by the way birds fly, it will tell you what tomorrow will hold. But tomorrow is in the hands of the Lord. Amen? And so Daniel saw the Lord, him, Mishael, Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, they sought the Lord. And surely the Lord answered. And he came to him and he said, the dream that you have was of this great statue. 
The head was of gold, and the arms and the torso was of silver, and the bottom part and the legs was of bronze, and the feet of iron, and the toes a mixture of iron and clay. And you know the story. And he, he spoke about the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Roman Empire. But all of this was pointing to a future empire. And in fact, Daniel himself had a great vision about these terrible beasts that came out of the sea and uh, how it related to a global kingdom. Amen. And we are fast approaching the global kingdom. The one world religion, the one world economy. The one world religion is that religion that whose foundation is founded on the brotherhood. It's love and tolerate one another because we are all human beings. Truth is relative to this one world religion. It means, the relativity of truth means that you make up your own truth. You make up your own God. As long as we stand for one another, as long as we preserve one another. It's a, it's a new age doctrine. And people are flocking to it. I've even seen that there's now a church of, what is the name? Church of Beyonce. And they sing Beyonce songs. I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. And, and people rally around certain things like that. And... Uh, they, they conform to their own belief systems. And so, I want you to turn your Bibles. We are now going into the message. Leviticus chapter 19. I'll start reading. Neither shall ye use enchantments, nor practice augury. Turn ye not to them that have familiar spirits, nor unto wizards. There shall not be found with thee one that uses divination. So I'm reading between the lines from verse 26 to 31. One that uses divination, one that practiseth augury, or an enchanter, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirit. A wizard, a necromancer, for whosoever doeth these things is an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. These were things that were forbidden in the law. You can also put down Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 and 11. It was forbidden by God. It was an abomination to the Lord. Why was it an abomination to the Lord? Because people that practiced these things actually had contact with demonic spirits. And so you see all these methods of witchcraft and of divination. And uh, today I just want to quickly give you their definitions and what they are all about. The first one is augury. It is the word meonen. Meonen. Sounds like omen. And truly it has to do with omens. And it is foundationed upon how people would interpret the skies and how birds would fly in the air. 
It's an omen that comes through birds. You must have seen the, the movie, The Omen of Damien. I think it's in The Omen chapter 2 where the attack of the birds was, the ravens. It's a horror movie in those days when I was still young, I loved horror movies. Uh, because it was just something in me. I didn't know about it. You, want, you were fascinated by the supernatural. But today, I'm so scared to watch those movies. <laughs> uh, because I will dream about them. And I will toss and turn. An auger, it is spelled A-U-G-U-R. An auger is someone that practices augury. It is the opposite of the seer. Because the auger sees things that he must not see and that he must not look into. It literally means one that ogles or bewitches with the evil eye. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 12, it speaks about how they were looking for counsel from wood, counsel from the trees. In Ezekiel 21 verse 21, speaks about the shaking of the arrows. And you know that there are people that shakes other things. When they shake the bones and they throw the bones of animals mixed with all kinds of things, they read into that thing and they tell you what's going to happen thereafter. And you know, saints, it is really the acceptance of the, the person in need that causes those things to happen. Because the scripture is true where any two of you it doesn't say where any believers, where any two of you shall agree on anything, shall be done for them. And so the, the power of agreement does not just work in church, but it also works outside of church. It is a principle in the earth. Two is better than one. Two is stronger than one. And so, and so when you agree with the Sangoma, when you agree with the, the auger concerning how the bones lie, concerning how the birds fly, the two of you now agree on a declaration and a proclamation that you have made. And the scripture says that life and death is in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. There are people that when, and I know there are many of you here today, when, they, when there's a mirror and the mirror breaks, what, what do you say is happening? Seven years bad luck. I wonder how far you are in yours. In what year you are. And you know, just the fear of these omens, just the fear of it, just the anxiety around it actually brings things like that upon you because you expect bad things to happen to you. And when you expect bad things, you look around every corner. When am I going to make that car accident? When are they going to steal the money out of my bank account? And the fear that you have in you attracts all kinds of demonic spirits. And before you know it, those things happen. And then you say, I knew it was going to happen. You wonder when are you getting the flu because you've never had the flu during the winter. And then you, you start speaking about, I think I'm going to have the flu. You know, there's power in your words. And then there's also power in the way that you expect things to, to happen. So what about us expecting good things to happen to us? It's like there's, without a shadow of a doubt, today 
It's my day I'm going to be blessed. If we can have that expectation about God, uh, it will attract the audience of heaven. It will attract angels into our lives. And we will walk in such blessing and prosperity because we know for a fact that today is my day, not tomorrow. Because the thing about divination is they want to find out what tomorrow holds. You might not even get to tomorrow. So you, we must make today count, saints. You must make the moment count. I keep saying this, that one of my mottos in life is to be where you are. If I play soccer, I am fully in that soccer game. I don't think about what I'm going to preach tomorrow. When I talk to someone, I am fully present. You are not divided in your presence. You are not here, but where's your body? On the other side of town. <laughs> that song says, you're messing me around. Yeah. And you know what people begin to think about you? They think that you are just like everybody else. You are shallow. You are mediocre. You are not convincing. You are not compelling. Because you always worry about tomorrow. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about the things of itself. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring this point, and I know I'm getting kind of pedantic with it. But I want you to understand that prophetic, for you to be prophetic, it is, it is about hearing God now. Daniel heard God now. And he could say what that, that dream meant now and save the lives of many people. Amen? We are so concerned about the future that we are presently no good. Then they speak about an enchanter. Menakesh. Menakesh. It is the same word that is used for the word serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field. It is the word Nahesh or Nakesh. N-A-C-H-A-S-H. The same word, an enchanter. There is a figure of speech that is used at times in the scripture that must be understood to understand the full meaning or context of a thing. For instance, the word serpent, the word serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is not a metaphor or a simile. And it is also not a noun. I'm saying that because it was not an actual serpent or an actual snake that tempted Eve. But the figure of speech that is used is uh, hypocatastasis. And it is different in this way. A simile is this. You are like a beast. It's a simile. A metaphor is you are a beast. Hupokatastasis, beast. It just simply states a fact. And it states a fact of representation. And so when the serpent came, he came representing the nature of a snake, which is that of divination. 
It comes to enchant you. comes to mesmerize you. Many of you have been mesmerized by men and by women. When you are mesmerized by, I'm talking now about relational mesmerations, where you are mesmerized by this boyfriend with the straight nose. <laughs> and what it does is it induces you to prolong staring. You just stare at this man. You can't get your eyes off him like you are staring at me now. <laughs> when you are induced into prolonged staring, that's why that crystal ball, uh, the diviner will look into the ball and you will also look into the ball. And in modern day terminology, it is considered a hypnotist. If, if you go for hypnotism, you're going to come back with demons in you. You're opening yourself up to the enemy. Because everything that you stare and have your eyes too long upon has the potential to capture your soul. Some people stare too long on their grand house, on their car. Some men stare too long at naked woman. If you stare in books of pornography and things like that, you are opening yourself up to be enchanted by the enemy. And when you come under the spell, the enchantment, the mesmerization, the hypnotism of the devil, you, I'm telling you saints, demonic spirits want fresh bodies all the time. And you are opening up yourself to Things like that. And so an enchanter is one that is like a snake. A snake, one thing about it is, a snake is beautiful to me. My wife says she doesn't like the snake. But when you look at it, it is a beautiful creature without thinking about what it represents. Because you say, Liesl, it is, a, it is one of the most ugly animals because you think about its representation. You don't see it for what it is, but it has that ability to charm you. Like many of the soothsayers in church, they have the ability to charm you. Some men are so handsome and some, some women are so good looking that you look more on their outward appearance, what they have, where they live, than the substance on the inside of them. And so in your heart, you would be prejudiced against the brother that does not have that opulence and status, but that is anointed. And you will rather go to the one with the shiny shoes. You have been enchanted by the devil. And so an enchanter is one that mesmerizes. It's a hypnotist. And it's one you are fascinated with him. Some of you are fascinated with men of God. that are true men of God. But you are fascinated more with the men of God than with God himself. And man has become your idol. Whenever you speak, you say, Pastor Oral said this. Pastor Oral, Pastor Oral. Everything is about pastor so and so and so. You even pray, oh Father, as Pastor Oral preached. You've come under 
the spell of an evil spirit. And many times it has nothing to do with the man, but everything to do with how you have come under its spell. And then there are people that carries that with them. They are enchantresses and they are enchanters. Men that will just soothe you with their words. And before you know it, you are out of your money, you are standing on the brink of divorce because you've come under that spirit. Number three, let me move quickly here. Number three is a sorcerer. Mekashep. Mekashep. Spell it like you think you will remember it. It's the Hebrew word, Mekashep. One who mutters incantations or speaks in a ventriloquial whisper as if under the influence of the spirits of the dead. Have you ever heard them in churches? They make funny sounds. When they pray for you, ah! hey! they make funny sounds. The moment that happens, saints, you stand two, three steps back. Because that is a sorcerer right there. You want someone to declare the word over you. They must say, I declare the word. I declare Isaiah 53. I declare Matthew 24 over you. Not, hey, whoo, hey, shh. <laughs> and we think, whoo, the, that's the power coming now. And we shake and we fall. No, people must be educated about these things. I don't care if it's the, the most important preacher in the world. The moment they start doing those things, they are stepping on dangerous grounds. Sorcerer. A sorcerer, one who mutters incantations. When you pray and you say in the name of Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. You are uttering incantations. It means you have no depth in you. You've got no word. You've got no substance in you. You cannot declare the word because there's nothing. You are empty. And the only thing that you can resort to is to sorcery. Making funny sounds and uttering and muttering all kinds of incantations. Spells. No. The word of God must be clear. If you have no more words, you pray in tongues. But you don't mutter Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Saints, do you know that the name of Jesus, its power is not in the noun. It's in the verb. You don't even have to cast out demons saying in Jesus' name. I know that when you did that, they went out. But they are really not afraid for the, of the noun. They are afraid of the representation of the name. I have seen that many times. When Jesus cast out demons, what did he say? Come out in the name of Jesus. No, he just said, come out. Because he stood in the power and the authority of his name. Number four, a wizard. The word is Yidoni. It means a wise man, a knowing one. 
The word in the Old Testament is always used in connection with the word ob. O-B-H. And this, I want to spend some time on this. O-B-H. Ob. And it notes one who could interpret the ravings of a medium. And so the, a wizard and the next two things are used interchangeably. And it is a charmer and a necromancer. A charmer is one who inflicts a spell by weaving magical knots. Have you seen people that has come under the curse of charmers? People that are bent over. People are literally tied in knots where they cannot walk up straight. The, the head hangs this way or the arm is that way or the, uh, this eye is at the back of the head. The ear is upside down. But you know what I mean. There are people that are physically tied up because they've come under the influence of a charmer. And then they come back to the charmer for the charmer to untie them. And you see it on TV. And then the charmer just waves his hand. He casts a spell and he loosens them up. And everyone shouts, hallelujah, look at the man of God. But you have in the first place come under the spell of that man. He tied you up because he works with demonic spirits. And now when he loses you, you, you think, yeah, look at this power here. There is such a lust for people to see manifestations in the house of God. And people have become intoxicated with that lust and desire. They say if we don't see miracles or signs or these funny things in the house of God, I call them funny things, then God is not there. A charm is one who consults with a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit is also known as an orb. So it is both the, the charmer and the spirit that's known as an op. It denotes one who is possessed by a python or soothsaying spirit. When Saul was on the eve, the Israelites were on the eve of the battle of Gilboa, ready to fight the Philistines. Samuel died. David was not there. His strength was gone. Saul previously cut off and killed all witches and warlocks and sorcerers. But that night, God did not speak to him. In fact, the whole month, God didn't speak to him. He had no direction. Should I go into battle? Should I stay? What is it that you want me to do? That night, he covered himself in a cloak and went to the witch of Endor. When the witch of Endor heard about the coming of Saul, she was afraid because she thought that Saul was going to kill her. And as they went, uh, one of the servants, Saul said, we have brought nothing. And when you go to people like this, you must give a gift. And they said, no, we have something that we can give to her. There is some silver. This is found in 1 Samuel 28. When Saul got there, he spoke to this woman and he said to her, 
divine unto me a familiar spirit. She said, I see an old man coming up and he's covered with the mantle. And according to her, she was divining Samuel the prophet. And so there Samuel the prophet, so-called, stands before Saul. This is a critical scripture about familiar spirits that you must understand. And so this familiar spirit stands before Saul and he speaks to Saul about the battle. Saul goes and he knocks against the gates of hell to become friend to a foe. And people in church does that all the time. When God does not answer, when you hear nothing, you go to the foe, you go to the enemy, and you knock on the gates of hell to divine a familiar spirit. This type of divination is called necromancy because you are seeking for the living among the dead. You seek to communicate with the dead. And you must have seen the series on television, Long Island Medium, crossing over with John Edwards, where these people would ever in the studio call you up and say things about your family and things about your past. Uh, normally they would want a portrait of the person who died. And many of these people could not deal with the death of, of their loved one. And so they want closure. And uh, these necromancers or charmers would, so to say, call up the dead. And I'll show to you today that there is no way that once you die for you to roam the earth, to haunt a house, to walk around on the earth, uh, there, there's nothing like that. That only happens in the movies, on television, and in Hollywood. And so the scriptures are clear. These are things that you want to hear, isn't it, saints? Amen. When they call up your dead, your grandma, your granddad, or whoever, the thing that comes up might look, you might even see a spirit. You might even see the appearance of your Oma. But it is not the spirit of a man. It is a demonic spirit. That's why it is called a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit is familiar with the lives of people and their history. Demonic spirits only study people. They are not concerned about the latest fashion. They are not concerned about money and, and wealth and fame. They only study people. And so they know your deepest secrets. What you did when, what you said when. They know those things. And when these mediums, when these charmers comes and mentions things to you that you know there's no way that they can know it. Don't be surprised. Don't be excited about it. Uh, it's just that you've been studied because you are important. If you weren't important, demons would have just left you. You are a threat to the enemy, and that's why they know your comings in and your goings out. Amen? Then there is another, and I'm drawing to a close. Then there is another form of necromancy, which is very deep. It is that kind where 
they call up demonic spirits or the dead to have intercourse with them. I have heard with my own ears and seen a video where Bobby Brown said that he actually had sex with the demon. And things like this can happen where people are in such an ecstatic state in a dream world, in a vision-like world. And some of these things must have happened to you where you were in a dream and you could actually feel things. When you woke up, you were so shocked and you checked yourself if you were still okay. It shows you the power and the, the vibrancy in our spirits, how alive our spirits are. And when you sleep, your spirit is still awake. But there are people that particularly would do things like this. I've read of all kinds of weird things of people that said that they, they were the pride of Satan and that they were actually pregnant by the devil and that they're carrying the antichrist and that when the child is 12 years old, he will take over the world and people believe all of these nonsense and so all of these comes from ancestral worship ancestral worship is basically the worship of familiar spirits it's not your ancestors that comes up even if you see them in your dreams it's not your mom you rebuke that thing it's a demonic spirit because they are familiar they know how your mom look or your grandma looked and they can come in that form because the scripture says that the devil comes as an angel of light when jesus after he rose from the dead he walked with the two men on the road to emmaus he took on another form they did not see him they did not recognize him they were talking about jesus but jesus was walking with them the bible says only at the table with their eyes opened and they could see him. And so spirit beings or demonic spirits can take on all kinds of shapes and forms. I remember we were casting out a demon once, a terrible demon, wild, ferocious in this young man. And uh, the warfare was just on another level. And when the demon finally decided, I had enough, I'm leaving. We were so tired and shocked because of the kind of manifestations that we saw in that room. And as I opened the door, I saw my dog there. I checked, you. This demon was so, so angry. Maybe you will go in my dog. I said, I rebuke you, devil. You will not go in Billy. The dog's name was Billy. Command you to leave Billy. And, and Billy was looking because Billy thought I was shouting him. And, and because I was pointing at Billy. You will not go in Billy. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes we, we have these experiences. I personally, saints, I personally don't want to cast out demons. But if I have to, I, I'll do it, and I've done it many times. Um, in the casting out of demons, you always think about uh, the person, how the person can be protected. 
I don't want to cast out demons in church. Because imagine, I cast out demons out of Leon. And they are ferocious. How will you look at, Le at Leon after that? Leon can be delivered, love the Lord. But your prejudice will be, hey, let's watch. Yes, Leon coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you as leaders to be very careful with things like this. If someone needs deliverance, take him somewhere quiet, where there's no children, where there's no unbelievers, and deal with deliverance in private. Don't look for a show now and even put the mic there. What is your name? How many are you? Who sent you? You don't ask questions with demons. Just cast them out and finish and go and eat. Amen? How, how much time do we have? I think, we, I think we're going to take a break here, saints. Food has been prepared for us. Just come under the, smell, under the spell of sweet things and salty things. Amen. God bless you. We are, just, we are just giving introductions so far. We'll get to the meat store. Amen.